Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast podcast, the podcast that laughs in the face of politics, only for politics to laugh with it, causing me to say, no wait, we were definitely laughing at you. This is episode 117, I'm Tin and Duyeb, and this week Brexit is 95% completed. Well, according to Prime Minister and Broken Human Theremin, Theresa May, which is exciting news, although considering what the 5% left to download is, I'm fairly sure a pop-up will arrive saying that it's not compatible with our current operating system and there's not enough memory, preparation or general sense to complete instalment without deleting some large elements or having a total restart. Apparently, the Brexit divorce settlement is all but settled. You know, in the way that if you're getting an actual divorce, there's 10 years of pointless arguing and then at the end, you actually get round to doing the official divorcing. I mean, I understand May's process. As a writer, you're meant to include the procrastination as part of the job. So if I had an important deadline, I'd probably check Twitter for ages, do a bit of tidying, pop out for a while and then eventually sit down to churn out the important bit just before it's due. At the same time, I've never had a bit of writing work that could potentially ruin the entire country. I mean, I have, but luckily it never got past the optioning stage. Theresa May says the last bit of the talks will be the most difficult, which I guess it will if it's the bit that actually includes talks and all the stuff that you haven't worked out yet. There have been some minor successes over the past few weeks with Brexit, though, including talking with Spain and sorting out the deal with Gibraltar, which it turns out is mostly that it'll get sorted out in the transition period, and that's the most stereotypical Spanish move ever. Oh, whatever, let's deal with it after lunch. I mean, come on, Ireland, why are you being so tricky when you can take after Gibraltar and have a siesta knowing full well things will still be in a mess in two years anyway? Conservative MPs are frustrated with the progress so far, or lack of, meaning that for the first time ever, they're actually in tune with the general public. And Theresa May has been told she has just 72 hours to save her job in what might be the worst plot for a film I've ever seen. One woman has just three days, no plan, no suspense, general discomfort. Theresa May stars in... 
cranks or something like that. Several Conservative backbenchers have been particularly aggressive about it, with comments being given to the press anonymously about May bringing her own noose to a meeting or talking about the moment coming when the knife is stuck in her front and twisted, and many MPs have condemned that sort of language. I mean, me too. It's very out of brand with usual Conservative talk. I'd have expected the May critics just to say they have absolute confidence in her or that she may end up worse than before, but that's the hard line they're taking. While Brexiteer MPs are shouting abuse and flaunting their double standards, demanding plans from people in timescales they've never managed and still haven't, the Brexit Secretary and sentient programme run by the Matrix, Dominic Raab, has told MPs that he understands Tory jitters, but hold your nerve, which I'm pretty sure is just his way of asking for a cuddle. But despite this uniting tone for his own party, Raab has also told the EU that they must ditch their backstop or the UK will not extend its transition period. Yes, he's threatening that if the UK don't get rid of their insurance, policy to avoid possible chaos, the UK will also get rid of theirs. I mean, how is that a threat? If you don't get rid of your castle moat, we'll take off all our armour and paint targets on our chests so the enemy knows where to fire their arrows. Yeah, beware. What an idiot. On Saturday in London, nearly 700,000 people marched for a people's vote. Because, you know, the idea of robots or animals voting repulses them. Sorry, um, let me read that again. No, sorry, they wanted a second referendum, but this time on the terms of the final Brexit deal. But still, robots definitely shouldn't get to vote right. I mean, that's just asking for trouble. It was the largest demonstration since the protest against the Iraq war in 2003. And not to put a downer on anything, but in that case, it still went ahead and ended up with such a terrible mess and pointless loss of life that the consequences are still being felt in Iraq 15 years later. But hey, I think Saturday's protest gave a powerful message of how fed up everyone is. And also, by gridlocking the streets of London, gave a good indication of what Kent will be like after the transition period. Meanwhile, in Harrogate, the Leave Means Leave counter-protest led by river sludge in Tweed, Nigel Farage, was estimated to have had 1,200 people there, though they don't say how many of those were actually alive at the time. You could say that the comparison between the two protests shows that public opinion has indeed changed, or perhaps it's just that, once again, those leading the Brexit movement couldn't be bothered to work out any sort of plan to actually do anything. An unknown backer has spent a quarter of a million pounds on a Facebook advert campaign urging people to get their MPs to ditch Theresa May's Checkers plan and it's now reached over 10 million users. The group who've posted them is simply known as the Mainstream Network but there's no transparency as to who they actually are. But I reckon we can do some quick detective work based on the Taxpayers Alliance who don't and aren't, the European Research Group who really don't research Europe at all or any of the other contradictorily titled groups who when trying to work out what to call themselves just looked up the opposite of what they actually do is. I mean, there's every chance that the mainstream network are actually just some sort of tiny detached cult. Oh, wait, it's probably leave means leave, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. A report into bullying in the Commons led by Dame Laura Cox, who I won't give a funny description to because, let's face it, if you're doing a report into bullying, that sort of thing would just make me really awful. Uh, This report says senior staff need to make radical changes within the House of Commons. But by that, she doesn't mean they should only hire in people from extremist groups, but the report uncovered many accusations of bullying and sexual harassment that have been covered up by, as Dame Cox put it, a culture of deference, subservience, acquiescence and silence, which I'm surprised was in place as anything else with even a whiff of culture to it has had its funding removed from government ages ago. Which she'll have to now her own MPs are making comments about stabbing her. 
Speaker of the House and John Shouty Peter Pettigrew Burkow faced calls to quit because it seems when it comes to other staff members, he's more of a shouter of the House, but when it comes to abuse allegations, he's a whisperer. However, some MPs also think Burkow is being attacked because the Conservatives have repeatedly tried to get him sacked for years on account of the way he, well, doesn't let them get away with anything. Because, you know, many of them assume that when he shouts order, he should mean in terms of status and who should be allowed to speak based on how many properties they own. Burkow has said he'll step down next summer, pleasingly managing to both accept his calls to quit and stick around long enough to manage the house during Brexit, which, if that isn't top management of politicians, I don't know what is. In international news, bronze sculpture of a trash heap and US President Donald Trump has announced the US will withdraw from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty because he says Russia have been violating it for years. Sure, so the best way to stop them violating it is just to close it. Brilliant. It's like the US notion that gun laws don't stop criminals getting guns, so you may as well not have gun laws. Great, and why not just scrap all laws while you're at it and then all treaties and then anyone can do what they like in order to stop them doing what they like. The treaty was signed in 1987 and is seen as important in ending the Cold War, causing Russia and the US to get rid of thousands of missiles with ranges between 300 and 3,400 miles. So if Russia or the US wanted to make missiles, they either had to blow themselves up or be somewhere further away than Russia or the US. Nice. Chances are, by withdrawing, Russia will actually benefit as they can then blame the US for ruining the treaty and then make a whole load more missiles. It also aids North Korea, who now probably won't be told to stop making missiles by a country that's actively allowing themselves and Russia to make more missiles. It's a bit like telling a child that they can't have an ice cream while you pummel your face first into a vat of Haagen-Dazs while taking a breath to smear some on your friend. So once again, it's something that sounds like the Trump being tough on Russia, but actually is Russia asking for the US to act tough because they think it's cute and it makes all their large missiles armed and ready. Saudi Arabia have admitted that journalists critical of their regime, Jamal Khashoggi, is dead, despite previously saying that he left their embassy in Istanbul unharmed. Then, last week, they said actually he was killed in a fistfight, you know, against 17 men that had specifically arrived in Istanbul that day and waited for him at the embassy with a bone saw. I mean, if this fight story is true, then Jamal Khashoggi was not just a journalist, but also some sort of vigilante don in order to take them all on like it's some sort of hallway scene from Daredevil that sadly went wrong. But despite how dubious that all sounds, with the world looking at Saudi Arabia for answers, they're now saying that those that killed him are a rogue operation, despite seven of them being bodyguards who are part of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's personal security detail. Although maybe it's relief that they can finally admit that Saudi Arabia and its whole authoritarian regime is a rogue operation. Trade Secretary Disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox the Disgrace has pulled out of being at the major economic forum in Saudi known as Davos of the Desert. Fox says it's in response to Khashoggi's murder, though I'm certain it's actually because it's not that safe for him to share a room with his pal Adam Werity on that trip. And lastly, former Liberal Democrat leader and current Thin Delhi slice left in the rain, Nick Clegg, has been hired by Facebook as head of its global policy and communications. Because who better to handle the communications of a company that won't properly meet with the British government than a man who, even when he was at number 10, may as well have not been present. Maybe this is an inside job for Nick where he can tackle Brexit from within Facebook, you know, by letting us know who posted those Brexit adverts or putting a sad face on all the pages of people who post fake news or more likely just sitting in the corner of a room saying, oh no, don't do that please, as everyone wonders what that crying mumbling sound is. Chances are in three years' time he'll have to make some sort of public apology for raising the costs on Farmville, even though he said he wouldn't, and then he'll get fired as Facebook blames everything they've done badly on him. Oh, wait, when he said he supports a people's vote, did he just mean one of those status post polls? Hmm. 
Watch your pod of lights. How goes you all this week? Um, I had the very exciting experience last night of a firework smashing in through our living room window and being deflected off our shitty blinds into my daughter's playmat. So uh, that was fun. Don't you just love this time of the year? I mean, red and brown leaves, popping on your favourite jumper, eating some lovely warm food like soup or stew and dodging fireworks that have been set off in your street by bored kids. Oh, autumn. I mean, due to us actually having a good landlord, the window is now fixed. But let me give you these bits of wisdom should any of you have a firework uh, fired through your window. Uh, One, it is very hard to know what is ash marks on your sofa and what is flakes of chocolate that you spilled there from the night before. Very, very hard. And they are very similar, uh, probably not in taste, but in look, definitely. Uh, Number two, either your body knows when you might actually die and when you definitely won't, or your life doesn't remotely flash before your eyes. Because my main thoughts as that firework was getting quite close to my head were, oh, that's really pretty oh my god um and number three glass really does get everywhere i mean i now totally understand how beaches work um, apart from that excitable unexpected turn up for my week uh, of which the police can't do much about because fireworks are the evidence that destroy themselves and our local police station was closed last year due to cuts so uh, and let's face it I mean it's probably idiot kids rather than some firework toting new villain who throws bangers around due to his short fuse and can only be defeated by a very boring hero who looks like a large bucket of water so but anyway apart from all that I'm good thanks um, and I do now have one very nice new clean window so um, win Um, Also, uh, I'm very pleased that you're here listening to this podcast once again and yet another week rolls around where I could just scream, oh, what's the point, into the microphone 20 times and accurately depict current politics. But hey, here you go, full-size podcast instead because I no longer got a cold champion. Um, Did you go on the People's Vote March? I didn't uh, for a number of reasons, which you probably don't care about, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, But it was a combination of not really enjoying the thought of having an irate seven-month-old in a gridlock of lots of shuffling marchers or marching shufflers, who knows, um, for hours and hours with no decent baby-changing facilities nearby um, because London is crap for that. I know many people brought their babies with them, and that makes me look rubbish. They are obviously more professional parents than me. Um, I saw a pic of Daniel Craig looking absolutely knackered with his baby this week, and I thought, hooray, finally got something in common with James. James Bond. Um, But the other reason that I didn't go to the People's March uh, is because my views on having a People's Vote are quite skewed, as you'll know from this podcast, despite very much supporting, I should say, why many, many people were there. I'm very glad people were there, very glad it happened. But personally, yes, I think Brexit's a mess. Yes, I would prefer it if the vote had gone the other way. But I also worry, because of many things, about how, in order to have a People's Vote that was really worthwhile, we'd need an Article 50 extension, which I don't think we'll get and the government will ask for, or the EU would give us. Uh, or the people's vote would have to happen during the transition, which means yet more time on campaigning rather than actually fixing things. Plus, I honestly don't trust people not to vote as into the worst-case scenario again, because, let's face it, people are terrible. I mean, look, for every good un, and I'm thinking of you, listener, obviously, you're a good un, yes or no, you are, look at you, um, there's someone out there who'd happily just extinct a creature for fun and use double diesel if they could, while not indicating, probably wearing red trousers, and then voting for a no deal, because it means they get to say no like a two-year-old. Would. And that's if anyone turns up to vote second time round anyway, because while I love a vote and would vote twice a day if I could, there are also Brenda's from Bristol's. You're joking. You're joking. Not another one. 
Also, if you remember my interview with David Runciman from episode 106, yes, a referendum was advisory, but to go back on the results is still a defiance of democracy, which is probably needed but could also be bad. Basically, what I'm saying is I want a march just for me, which I'll probably go on all by myself with a placard that just says, can you do your fucking job, please, and parade outside Westminster until at least one politician decides that, oh, wait, party politics really only does come third to Brexit and climate change and the entire well-being of humanity. And that clicking sound you hear there is all of you unsubscribing as I rant for no reason during the admin bit. Um, As I said, I do back many of the reasons that uh, loads of you went on that march. I do think it was a fantastic day. The pictures look brilliant. I'm slightly jealous. I do sort of wish I was there. I'll be honest, though, um, it is mainly because I didn't want to have to clean a pooey nappy on Whitehall, even though I'm sure that isn't the first time it's happened and many round there have probably paid for that kind of service. I did have a firework near my face, so cut me some slack or at least make me a baked potato so it was worthwhile. Um, I am thinking about going to an event in London on 31st of October uh, on the Halloween in Parliament Square, which is the launch of Extinction Rebellion, a non-violent direct action group campaigning for, well, anyone important to care about climate change. And they've got some good speakers listed, so that might be interesting if any of you fancy that um right you lot admin stuff uh, i'm not going to wang on about the code for your patreon this week just donate or reviewing the show just do that um instead over the next few weeks if you know anyone who's got a smartphone or an idiot phone ask them if you can borrow it for a minute go to their podcast app subscribe them to this show tell them to give it a try i very much appreciated a few of you spreading the word on twitter especially shout out to ashley baxter who is an independent counselor in market and west deeping and writes an excellent blog at deepingdo.com and i thoroughly appreciated him replying to a radio 4 tweet asking which podcast people were enjoying by saying this one except for the regular gratuitous foul language superb callback sir superb um so look anything the rest of you can do to drag others ears to this show would be great as while the donations and reviews are lovely please keep doing them if no one's listening then i may as well stop doing this and stand in a forest and fall over a few times which actually to be fair sounds quite calming anyway um please do that and thanks again to listeners in botswana as we're now i know you'll be pleased about this i was 212 last week now 211 in the botswana apple chart so um that's one place up doing pretty well in botswana i know who loves me um for some reason i don't get stats sent to me from anywhere else in the world but if you live in a remote location feel free to tell me how this show fares against all your other pod tenders um some podcast admin or podmin i had someone say that last week's show was too quiet again for their listenings um i don't know why it's all done to the specifications that it's done every week and that it's meant to be that it's recommended by the podcast provider uh, and otherwise but i'll prevail to make it louder this week and at some point maybe i'll find a producer that doesn't mind being paid in i don't know crumbs old byros and wishes and see if they can help um also for all of you super early listeners um i know there are some of you that grab this the second it's released or the earliest hours of the morning um acast have for the last two weeks had issues with uploading meaning this podcast has hit your app several hours later than normal so apologies if that's ruined your listening schedule but they promised me it should now be all back on track and if you can't hear this during your tuesday 5am commute then well it hasn't worked but you won't know will you or you will because you won't be able to anyway look also i wanted to say uh, on this show that i'm not going to do any longer bits on the grisly murder of jamal khashoggi um despite it being quite a, a key story at the moment and that's partly because uh, john oliver's last week tonight absolutely nailed it uh, last week worth a watch if you can um also if you go back to episode 108 you can hear the interview with fred carver at una uk all about the war in yemen um and we talk about saudi arabia there too so that's well worth a listen as well if you've missed that one um and that's the same with many subjects you know if you want to hear 
more about them on this show. Uh, chances are I'd probably need to do stuff about them, but also check the website in case there's recently been an interview or a bit that you've missed, and you can search for all of that in the archive at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk. Wow, this bit was long, wasn't it? I mean, you'd think nearly having a firework in my face would make me realise how precious time is uh, and everything would just flash by like a firework. But no, if anything, it's probably made me go on way too long without ever really getting going. And now you're going to leave the show alone in case it's dangerous for your health. Sorry, what I mean is, on this week's show, I speak to Prafula Shah at the Back to 60 campaign about the fight against state pension inequality. Plus, Brexit fallout is back, you lucky, lucky people. But before all of that, have a bit of this right in your mush. Whenever I hear someone say hate crimes, I always want to shout love justice after them because, you know, it sounds like a fun slogan for the police. Or Spider-Man. Hate crimes, though, are criminal offences motivated by racism, ableism, homophobia or transphobia or religiousisms. No, I'm not sure what the proper word for that last one is either. But the Law Commission are going to look into whether misogynistic offences should also be considered hate crime. And because it's going to take them all of five minutes to look at that and go, yes, definitely, they're also going to be considering misandry, ageism and hatred of certain cultures like goths or punks are too. Don't worry, people who like to insult fans of Mumford or Sons or Ed Sheeran, they said cultures. The Law Commission are an independent parliamentary body that look at if laws need a bit of modernising, and it's led by Labour MP and stock photo of a student newspaper editor, Stella Creasy. She proposed this review around hate crimes after upskirting was made criminal in England and Wales. You remember, you know, the law the MP Christopher Chope, a.k.a. Bob Holness with an underbite, opposed, but only because he supports it in theory, but in practice he's an arsehole? Yeah, that one. Well, thankfully, underskirting did get banned under the voyeurism bill, and then the idea was to look into if other misogynistic offences are also hate crimes, something that Nottinghamshire Police have been doing since 2016, meaning they've been able to look into cases that weren't previously deemed as criminal, including women being followed home, whistling or unwanted sexual advances, all of which seems like a very good move and a positive for a lot of women in particular whose growing harassment has often been ignored. So, of course, after making uh, misogyny possibly a crime, the next natural step after that, to placate all the idiots on Twitter who scream, but what about the men's, is to look at whether offences involving misandry should be treated the same, despite knowing full well that if they do that, 999 will be blockaded by men calling every five minutes, insisting some woman is arrested because she didn't listen to his every thought on the new Doctor Who. There is, of course, a lot of questioning about whether misandry should be included, and that is what the review is there for. After which, they'll be looking at ageism, which is important and on the rise, since, well, all the old people definitely caused Brexit. Ugh joke and then maybe also culture groups all of which could lead to a much nicer fairer society or you know lead to a lot of idiots complaining about a lack of freedom of speech political correctness going mad and then when anyone tells them to shut up calling the police because they've been attacked by a misandrist hmm there is also the issue of sentencing for such crimes because in an already overcrowded prison system meaning that even professional hate preachers like Anjum Trowdry get half their sentence as probation which should say still means he's serving his sentence and not being released early idiot newspapers as he has a series of conditions that you can't break till his sentence is up because there's no space to keep him locked up and really that's standard practice <sighs> but because of an overcrowded prison system can you then squeeze in a ton of new offenders who've been given six months because several BTS fans didn't like your tweet about how they look like the fifth element shagged a jumble sale only time will tell as the law commission's review was only announced by the home secretary Sajid my dad was an immigrant which is why I'll only deport other people's relatives Javid last week and then this weekend he tweeted inflammatory messages about abuse caused by Asian pedophiles files with a capital A on Asian, racialising the crime and being criticised by many. 
So, maybe, after this one, the Law Commission needs another review about just which elements of the Home Office's policies can be also considered as hate crimes. Oh, you know what they say about buses, eh? One doesn't come for ages, and then they stop coming, and now you have no public transport in your area, and it's raining. Oh. I'm a big fan of the bus, uh, because without it, I'd have to walk more and be late for things, which would be shit. And plus, you can't get the satisfaction of pressing a bell and getting off where you like on a train or a plane, which probably makes sense. But the campaign for better transport has found that eight years of public funding cuts to buses, plus a 55% increase in fares, means that less people are getting public transport, and actually many people now haven't got any to not get in the first place. In more rural places, this obviously means people can't get to work or the shops or school and any parents lose out on a relatable sing-along song for their kids about wheels, which really isn't fair. Buses also help reduce pollution on account of having lots of people on them all at once instead of several cars and basically, bussiness is important. Campaign for Better Transport is asking for the government to include more money for bus services in the budget next week but with council funding being cut by £20.5 million just last year for the eighth year in a row, it's not looking likely. In the absence of buses, it seems cuts, which no one wants, suddenly keep on coming, eight in a row, all at once. You can find Campaign for Better Transport at bettertransport.org.uk or on Twitter at cbtransport. I'm the sort of optimist that assumes that by the time I'm old and in need of a pension, they'll have made the pension age something so old that it's reserved only for the men and women who achieve the accolade of oldest person in the world so they can have one final not entirely crap year before they die. So what I'm saying is I have no private pension and I'll probably just have to wing it by working until I'm 107 and then die midway through a podcast prompting loads of complaints from you lot who are sad the episode hasn't come out on time. However, in today's day and age, the state pension thankfully still exists and is relied on by many retirees so they don't go into poverty in older age. But because everyone's living longer, well, until the current government ruined that, under the 1995 Pensions Act and the 2011 Pensions Act, the age women could claim state pension for increased from the age of 60 to 65 in order to equalise with men. Because, hey, that's the best way to do equality, according to the British government. Make things equally shit for everyone. Nice! So now, without any warning, there are a lot, and by a lot I mean approximately 3.8 million women born in the 1950s who are now either having to work longer beyond their means or finding themselves without any support whatsoever. Hooray! Equality! Over the past year, the fight against state pension inequality has gained tract, and on October the 10th, over a thousand women marched to Parliament in protest, many of them wearing photos of other women who couldn't attend because they couldn't afford the costs, weren't allowed the time off, or now have to do zero-hours contracts because they don't have a pension anymore. Campaign groups Back to 60 and WASPy have put the pressure on and there's now an all-parliamentary group looking into state pension inequality and the High Court have also agreed to an oral hearing for a judicial review claim. So this week I spoke to Prafula Shah from the aforementioned Back to 60 campaign who kindly explained why all these changes happened in pensions, what it means for women in their 50s and for pensions for all in the future and if the WASPy group constantly tried to land on their sandwiches during the summer. Okay, not the last one, but as for the rest, Prafula got me all up to date as to why we need to be campaigning against state pension inequality across the country. Now, just before this starts, uh, a very quick... Excuses. This interview was done between Skype and a mobile phone, both of which, I have to say, weren't having a great day, as it turned out. But I've done some clever sound things to it that I feel well smug about, and I think it's okay, but there are a couple of uh, <coughs> moments. I don't know what the... Uh, I think that's the clever technical term for them, because I'm obviously an expert. Look, anyway, I hope you enjoy, and please, after listening, sign the online petition that is mentioned. Here is Profula. Profula. <laughs> 
Hi, Profila. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, I, I sort of, I have a, a vague understanding of what Back to 60 are um, campaigning for, but could you tell me and the listeners what has happened to the state pension for uh, women born in the 1950s and how has the government now deferred it by stealth twice? So the 1995 Pension Act introduced some changes uh, to the state pension age and moved that upwards for women from 60 to 65, but failed to tell anyone about it. Um, what's effectively then happened is in 2011, the Pensions Act in 2011 uh, also equalised the age. So the basic idea was that they wanted to equalise the age for men and women to 65. The 2011 Pensions Act actually accelerated the changes. So initially, the changes were not supposed to take effect until 2021. The 2011 Act uh, accelerated the changes through Parliament and again failed to tell the women affected by this first. So the first cohort that is affected are women born in the 1950s. They've had absolutely no notice from the UWP about it. Uh, they weren't told that uh, instead of retiring at 60, they would now be retiring at 66. And and that was just pretty much sprung on, I mean, without much time to adjust for it or, or prepare for that whatsoever. Absolutely. So had women had the notice that they should have had, um, they would have had time to make some financial arrangements and prepare for this massive change to their life. Effectively, what we're saying is that we have paid into the National Insurance Fund. Some of these women have worked for, from the age of 15, so they've paid into the fund for more than 45 years, now being told that they won't be retiring for another six years but must carry on paying into the fund for that extra time, but no enhancements in their end pension. And in fact, some women will actually be getting a less pension anyway because they're also being told at the same time that they have, some of them haven't had enough years of stamp to pay. And I mean, are, are there issues in kind of bringing um, men's and women's pensions into line anyway? Um, is that a good idea overall, or or are there you know differences that, that mean that that shouldn't be happening? Well, so um, women were retiring at 60 for a very good reason, and the reason was that women are often, uh, a lot of women are often the caretaker in a home, they look after the children, they look after elderly parents, they often work part-time so that their husbands could work full-time and have, you know, um, careers that their husbands were progressing. Women have never had equality of pension anyway, in the sense that a lot of them work part-time and were paying a different class of national insurance to, to men. But some were also not allowed to pay into a private pension scheme until um, mid-70s. So they've never had equality anyway. And if we were doing this in the name of equality, then absolutely women should have the same pension that men have, which no woman does. They don't, there's also the pay gap, there's a gender pay gap, which we all know about. And more recently, throughout industry, uh, a lot of big companies have been talking about that, and it's been accentuated more by government talking about the gender pay gap. So women have never had equality anyway. So it really, this this idea of it being a, a, an equal rights issue is complete nonsense? It's completely nonsense from the perspective that it is not equal. Women were never equal. We will not have the same opportunity, the same pay, 
or they didn't have the same opportunity to pay into fire pension that some men did. So women were never equal anyway. And and what does the uh, the state pension being um, being sort of deferred by stuff? What what does that mean for women now in the nineteen fifties? I know you mentioned earlier that it means that no one's no one's had a chance to prepare for this. But does it mean that there are now lots of women that are having to work uh, in their sixties when they when they shouldn't be, or uh, are, are are they caught in quite tricky situations? Have you heard any kind of case studies where it's caused real difficulties for women? So we're hearing of. Um... 3.8 million women who all have very similar stories have made, um, you know, they were preparing their life around wanting to, having to, re- or being able to retire at 60. Some are now having to remortgage their homes, other, others are working uh, late into their life, doing jobs that they absolutely should not now be doing. I know a very good case of a nurse who's working in an orthopedic unit in a hospital, a job that she absolutely loved doing and she hated now because she's having to lose patients at, at the age of, you know, um, 62. And there are many harrowing stories of women who are actually self-harming. They don't know, you know, they're not eating, are not able to heat, uh, so they can't afford food, can't afford heating. Many are using food banks. Uh, Many didn't make provision for this and are now having to sell their homes. I heard from a a story from a woman recently who has become made homeless from this and sleeps in a car. I mean, the, the stories are absolutely horrendous. The impact of this legislation has been terrible, terrible hardship all over the country, and the government failed to do an impact assessment before introducing these changes, and that is fundamentally wrong because any major policy change of this kind, um, government and uh, essentially local government and central government are required to do an impact assessment, but they failed to do that. Uh, they failed to inform the women that these changes were coming, so women themselves have not been able to prepare for that. And, you know, the, the hardship this is causing not just for the women, but their families as well, because now instead of caring for the grand, grandchildren or elderly parents, these women are having to work. So essentially, somebody somewhere is also paying more for childcare and a lot of lot many more elderly people are having to be provided for by the state, whereas before women were taking care of their elderly parents. And it's something you said there about the, I didn't realise that the government hadn't done any impact assessment at all. I, and I wanted to ask, like, why do you think this age group are being targeted? Because traditionally, the Conservative Party have been very supportive of retirees. That's normally been their target age group for voters. What's changed and why did they decide to just go, you know, why do you think they just went ahead with this without any warning whatsoever? What What were the reasons? So, I, I mean, the reason is plain and simple, is saving money. Um Chancellor George Osborne went to a very famous European finance minister's dinner and boasted about how he had so easily saved so much money by doing this, uh, introducing these changes. It's not just the changes, it's where the changes have been introduced. So they're now tapering the pension. So I know cases of people who were both born in the same year, women both born in the same year, went to the same school, same year, one has already retired and one is now not going to be retiring for two and a half years. She won't effectively get her pension for two and a half years because the tapering uh, has been also introduced at the same time. 
Uh, you mentioned traditionally the Conservatives are quite supportive of pensions. I suspect what what was um, at the back of everyone's minds is that we are all living apparently longer, although that too is not true now. Public health illness two weeks ago um, said that actually people are not no longer living longer. Uh, for the first time in a decade, figures have been um, figures have been published that show that actually we are not living longer. That's also featuring away. So the longevity argument is no longer true. Um, what the government wanted wants everyone to do, of course, is make provision for a private pension um, and not have to rely on a state pension. And effectively. Uh, I think the future generation possibly won't have a state pension because the way this is now looking, the 2014 Pension Act also says that the government will review the change of age again. So they have made it uh, so that they will continually keep reviewing the age that people retire at. And effectively, lots of people are now working till their 70s to make ends meet anyway. Wow, so that's looking really bleak, you know, for 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 women now in their sixties, but also for future generations who may end up with a very long time before they get any pension, if any any at all, which is really worrying. Um, I I wanted to ask as well because the I know when the government's um I think the government said that it would cost seventy seven billion pounds to um put the pension back to uh, sixty years of age for women. Um, what? At back to sixty, what's your solution for that amount of money being spent on it? Or is, or I mean, you know, I'm I'm of the mind that everyone should be supported in their older age, and so that cost should be just accepted. Um, but is there is there a way of getting around the, the cost of it if it were to be pulled back to sixty? Right. So two things need to be clarified here. First of all, this is not money the government's giving anyone. This is money that these women have already paid in. They paid the national insurance fund. And the government is supposed to protect that fund. Um, there has been an um, investigation done which shows that £281 billion has not been uh, put into the National Insurance Fund by successive governments for 24 years. Right? So £77 billion can be found. If that money had been put into the fund as we, you and I have been paying into the fund, we will be having this conversation now that money will be there to pay the women. The other thing is £77 billion is not government's money. It's actually our money. That money has already been paid into the fund. So it's not a benefit. It was actually a contract that was made with government by every single person that pays national insurance because you and I don't have a choice. It's taken from us when we start working. So... It's a contract, and they're relegated on the contract. They changed the goalposts and didn't tell anybody. The £77 billion is not money that they don't have. For the first time in many years, the National Insurance Fund is actually um, showing uh, a surplus. So they, the government has the money. It's a case of saying a wrong has been done, and they've been, they have admitted this to an all-party parliamentary um, committee, and through the pensions ombudsman, that a wrong has been done. And it's actually about time the government listened and righted that wrong. Uh, Poland recently uh, tried to introduce these changes, and Poland has actually last week gone back to that 60 for, for their, their women. Oh, wow. So they, they've been successful. And how long did they have to campaign for it? Was it a, a fairly quick turnaround in Poland? 
No, not very much at all, whereas women here have been singing from the trees for three years about this with little, little or no attention from government. And it's only until, it's only in the last four weeks that actually media have started uh, to take notice and write about this. Uh, the rally you'll know about, which was last week on the 10th, uh, when women from all over the country actually marched on parliament to get parliament to understand the hardship that's being caused. Um, the then um, pensions minister, Baroness Roth Altman, last week agreed. She tried to actually, at the time of the introduction of this legislation, she tried to get her colleagues in parliament to understand the impact of it and had warned them of the hardship. But she said nobody listened. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we'll be back with Profula in a minute, but first... Look, all you need to know this week is that Brexit is 95% done, so you can Netflix and chill the hell out knowing full well that the government only have to hash out a tiny little 5% with the EU, and I mean 5%, what's that? You know, initialing a bit of paper, double signing the treaty that says all unbended bananas get sent straight to Brussels. What's that? It's still the Irish border issue. Oh, that's just 5%. I mean, that's like if I told you I lost 5% of my body hair and you said, oh, that's not too bad, that's not much, and then I showed you a massive swear word spelled out across the back of my head in sudden baldness. It's a seriously big problem, 5%. And the solution to the Irish border problem is, well, only really one thing right now. Or, wait, two things if you include a magical solution that will miraculously fall out of the sky atop a flaming unicorn, but let's face it, that's unlikely to happen, and the DUP will probably still say they aren't too keen to accept it on account of the demonic nature of the horned horse it rode in on. So, the one solution that isn't really a solution, but is more a, hey, we'll deal with that later fix, is basically more time for everything. 
And so the one solution isn't really a solution. It's actually just kind of, hey, let's put things in place if we still can't think of anything. And the two main ways that they're thinking of doing that, firstly, is a backstop, which I've mentioned before. And secondly, a longer transition period from after when the UK leaves the EU to when the UK actually leaves the EU and stops holding the EU's hand because the train's going now and it will seriously hurt one of you unless you release. The backstop, as you know, would mean Northern Ireland stays part of the EU Customs Union until they can figure out how it can not do that. So, you know, it'll probably last a few hundred years. The EU want the backstop to just apply to Northern Ireland, which Northern Ireland don't like, so they want the same as the UK. But Theresa May said maybe it can apply to the whole of the UK, which the EU and the Brexiteers don't like. Plus, the UK government wants the backstop to be time-limited because nothing makes you work like a deadline, right? But actually, that request is to appease the Brexiteers, who are angry about the other bit, even though the time-limit bit angers the EU because who knows how long actually having a plan will take. Spoilers, more than two years so far, so probably ages. So the EU is saying, why don't the UK have their UK backstop that May wants, and then if it fails, the EU backstop will kick in, which is a bit like telling a child that they can make their cookies that they're doing out of Play-Doh, because it doesn't really matter, there's a batch of proper ones in the oven. But no, I promise you're not completely wasting your time, and we do value your contribution. So, obviously, Brexiteers aren't happy with any of that either, and they want the EU to scrap their backstop. And see, this is why a time limit to a backstop is a bad idea, because it's taking this bloody long to get past just the planning stage. Oh, but some have said, why don't we just have a Norway option and that'll solve anything? Or a Canada option? Well, because Norway and Canada don't have a Northern Ireland. There was no point when part of Iceland, engaged in sectarian violence between Vikings and Christians, split off to join Norway. And even if it did, Iceland isn't part of the EU anyway, so it wouldn't matter. Shush and think of something better to suggest. Yeah, shush, go. Go away. Do it now. Why can't Ireland be like Gibraltar, some of you ask? Well, climate and monkeys mainly, but also, despite Spain saying Gibraltar is all sorted out, their deal is simply, hey, we'll work it out later when we have to. Great. I really hope the Spanish fire service don't have the same attitude. No, no, leave it burning. I'll deal with it once I've had my marshmallows and a small nap. And yes, you were spared my Spanish accent then. You're very, very lucky people. After meetings last week, the other bit of the plan is for the transition period between the UK leaving the EU and properly leaving the EU to be extended. At the moment, it's due to end on December 21st, 2020, because as if New Year's Eve parties aren't shitty enough. Plus, there's nothing like waking up on New Year's Day with a hangover that size. But now, the transition period could go on longer, although May says she doesn't want it to go on longer than May 2022, which is the month, not her next upgrade. A longer transition is indeed a good thing, but also, possibly, like with everything to do with Brexit, could be a bad thing. It's a good thing, because no decent plans have happened so far, and having that extra time to work everything out is probably very much needed. Is until May 2022 enough time? Probably not, especially when no one still has any ideas how to work out the Irish border and that flaming unicorn is still nowhere in sight. But it is more time than we have now. However, that time will mean that the UK is part of the EU in all but name. And while that might not concern Remainers as much, extending the transition to 2022 means that the UK will enter a new financial deal of EU budget, meaning that this country owes more to the EU for being part of that, but won't have any say or representation at the table throughout. I mean, this could also mean that the EU makes some really big decisions that affect the UK that we can't do anything about, i.e. banning flaming unicorns just so that solution can't happen. Also, if we have more time, doesn't that just mean we'll be back to being 76% completed and then there'll be two more years of asking about and name-calling for everyone before suddenly realising they have to do something six months beforehand all over again? As with always, only time will tell. And over the next week, we should really find out if we've got more time to have an even longer, even more boring story or not and if the ending will be worth it, or like Lost, you'll just go, oh, I wish I hadn't bothered.
Before this Brexit fallout finishes this week, um, there's been some news in regards to the dark money trail that I interviewed Peter Geegan about a couple of weeks ago in episode 115. It seems the Metropolitan Police have still not opened a criminal investigation into the illegal campaign spending of three pro-Brexit groups because of, as they say, political sensitivities. Cool. I mean, isn't that the same for any time anyone remotely to do with politics or society or, well, anything is under investigation? I mean, it's a political case. Of course there are political sensitivities. It's a bit like saying you wouldn't investigate a musician who's done some wrong because, you know, could really ruin Friday night drive time request hour. Open Democracy, the site that Peter writes for, uh, revealed that the police ignored all the evidence given to them by the Electoral Commission for four months, despite the Electoral Commission only being 15 minutes away from the Met Police uh, HQ Scotland Yard. Though, I mean, to be fair, in London traffic, that could take several days. But it's completely stupid. And aside from perhaps police cuts and resourcing issues, there's absolutely no excuse. Unless, of course, that is the political sensitivities and it's not at all about Brexit. It's just that absolutely no one's around to sift through 2,000 pages of evidence or, you know, check out if someone's had a firework thrown through their flat. Ahem. Anyway, there's growing pressure for the investigation to begin from MPs as well as the public, and an online petition now has over 9,000 signatures demanding the Met take action. Um, yes, it's another another petition for this week's podcast, but if you fancy giving it a sign, then do head to unlockdemocracy.org.uk and pop your name on there. And now, back to Profula. The, the protest last week was all over the newspapers and is now, is it right back to 60, have something like 700,000 supporters? And you mentioned the all-parliamentary group as well, led by Carolyn Harris. So do you feel positive about it now? that I mean, that's quite a lot of uh, power sort of uh, backing backing this change, to change it back to 60. Do you feel like there's hope in sight? Um, absolutely. I think uh, the, the it, it is the women themselves that have brought the story to to the attention of media um, and actually future generations, because I don't think anyone realises that this doesn't just affect this group of women, it affects absolutely everybody. We are all going to work longer. We, Some of us have now, we know about it and we could probably make provision for this, but these women didn't know, they were not told. They were not able to make provision. And so, therefore, I think government needs to do the only thing that they can do. Um, And, you know, we would like all politicians actually to play their part and do the right thing by their constituents because, actually, ultimately, uh, women have a vote. And I think a lot of women are now feeling very let down by democracy itself. And they will probably use that vote at the next election to show politicians that we are no longer going to be ignored. Do you have uh, any sort of time schedule from the all-parliamentary groups? I know, um, am I right in thinking that um, all your petitions were handed into Downing Street, was it this week? Yes, yesterday. We handed another petition yesterday to Parliament, and that is a survey that was done um, by silence of suicide, and they have actually looked at the impact of this legislation uh, on women that are actually now self-harming. And some women actually have died waiting for their pension. Um, So last week at the rally, there was a roll call of a number of names which we saw of of women that waited and waited and unfortunately are no longer here to claim their pension. Um, You know, we we have heard horrendous stories from women. We asked for stories to be shared on social media. And they are all over social media about the real impacts of this legislation. Um, So we absolutely think that the all-party parliamentary uh, committee has a role to play, but they're 
their proposals are not not actually going to resolve anything. And in fact, majority of women have lost between thirty five and fifty thousand pounds from their pension by waiting for six years. And that APPG solution is not going to give any compensation to those women. And so, actually. Uh, we think reinstating the age back to uh, back to 60 for 1950 women is the only solution to actually get some of these women out of the hardship they're now in. So, and even if it was to go back, as you said, uh, then they've still already lost money. That there won't be any, they won't be able to reclaim. They won't backdate any of the the pension payments. I'm I'm guessing. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if we do the maths, you know. If um, the weekly payment, whatever it is, and you, you times about that by 12 and then by another six, um, you know, we're talking about horrendous amount of money. And this money was rightly ours because people have, you know, people have paid into that fund. It is not the government to take and use for whatever they feel like using it for. And I think overall, um, a general debate, I think the national debate should be had about the National Insurance Fund. Because originally, when it was set up, it was a national insurance fund uh, to pay pensions and, I think, unemployment benefits. And over the years, a number of other things are being paid from that fund, um, including actually funding the NHS. And I think a debate now needs to be had about that as well. Mm, absolutely. And um, you mentioned to me, uh, so before we started recording, you've got a new petition that by the time this podcast comes out, it will have started. Um, and what's that petition for and how do people sign it? So Professor Jackie Jones, who is um, um, a legal uh, professor, has done an amicus brief for us, which supports our case of discrimination. And she... Um, she, that brief is actually saying that the UK government has breached um, UN laws on um, equality, and we are calling that a petition that says that this equality law needs to be enshrined in our own law in the UK, um, and that's what this petition is about. And it was launched yesterday. And people can find it online at backtosixty.com. Fantastic. Um, so I hope all the listeners go there and do that straight away. Um, and I just want to ask, Profila, it's a question that I ask all the interviewees uh, we have on this podcast. Um, apart from uh, yourselves at Back to Sixty, obviously who do fantastic work. Um, are there any other groups, writers, or campaigners that you could also recommend to listeners uh, to follow, read, or research on if they would like more information about state pension inequality and related issues? Yes, so Women's Equality Party is doing some work on this. The Fawcett Society are helping and supporting our case. And then there's WASPI and We Paid In, We Pay Out. Um, those are the two groups also also calling for changes. So those are the things, uh, those are the groups to look out for and support. Thank you to Profula for that chat. And you can find Back to 60 on their website at backtosixty.com, uh, where you can find on the front page uh, links to that latest petition that Profula mentioned. They are also on Twitter at 2020coms uh, and on Facebook too. Uh, one of the other groups involved that Profula also mentioned are, of course, WASPI, Women Against State Pension Inequality, and their website is waspi.co.uk, or you can find them on Twitter at waspi underscore campaign underscore or on their Facebook page as well. Of course, all the rest of Profila's recommended links, along with the transcript of the interview, will be on the partly political broadcast.co.uk website soon-ish.
Uh, next week, as it's Halloween, I'm going to be interviewing Graham Thompson from Greenpeace about climate change, which is the scariest thing ever. So it seemed appropriate. And then after that, uh, I think I'll have someone with an update on Scottish politics, hopefully. But after that, who knows? Um, some asks, if any of you know anyone out there you could recommend, I'd love to interview someone about Welsh politics. Also, someone on defence stuff as well. And still really keen to interview loads of local campaigners and activists that you may know of, as well as any of the subjects that you think I should be delving into with my completely inexperienced journey inabilities so let me know what do you want to hear and don't just say silence we've talked about my john cage 444 podcast before um drop me a line at parpolber on twitter the partly political broadcast group on facebook the contact page on partly political broadcast.co.uk or by email at partly political broadcast at gmail.com or you can leave your message engraved in the handle of a sword and put it in a lake and then in 1500 years an eight-year-old girl will find it and be crowned queen only to then have her dreams ruined when everyone realizes it's not a treasure it's just a bloody podcast request Boo! How dare you, Dream Ruiner? How bloody dare you? As always, you know, just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you so much for once again hearkening on this weekly bulletin. And please don't forget to review the show on one of them pod apps what you use. Donate if you can to the uh, patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or kofiko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro sites. And of course, just generally tell people to give this show a try. And if they don't like it, they can simply write to me at an address that I'll never give out and ask for their ear time back, which also isn't a thing. So haha, <laughs> I win. Uh, big tars to uh, Acast for attending to this show within its Audio Academy for Gifted Soundsters and to my brother Last Skeptic for all of the noises he provides from his musical catalogue and his podcast Thanks for Trying has also started up again uh, with the first one back the guests are Ramesh Ranganathan and Ed Scrine so uh, do check that out you can download that from all of the pod apps too this will be back next week when Theresa May reveals that their NHS plan is based on Brexit now being 96% complete but unable to continue until various programmes that you're currently using are closed down Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Dominic Raab's Power Moves, the Brexit Secretary's new book on how to do negotiations, including such tactics as just don't turn up in the first place, as well as tell them if they don't hire you for the job, they might hire another cleverer person who's cheaper, so don't do that, OK? It wouldn't be nice. Rob takes you through his simple strategy of speaking loudly and confidently so people think you know what you're doing even when you don't and eating the same lunch every day so you don't get confused by a sandwich and then lost in a corridor as a result. Rob's Power Games. He wouldn't bother reading it to get the upper hand, so why would you? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.